Hi, just a little bit of a disclaimer on this episode and the next episode. We were traveling uh, at the time that we recorded these, so we didn't have our high-tech studio with all of the very expensive equipment and sound-deadening devices that can help make us sound better than we are. So if you will just please excuse these next two podcasts, this one and the next one, they're going to have not the best audio quality. I'm pretty sure, though, that the the, the content's still going to be just as bad. <laughs> Actually, the content's pretty pretty good. Uh, I think you'll especially like, um, well, you'll like this part two as well as part three of the, uh, I don't know what we've decided to name these, Constantine something. I don't know why uh, Mormons aren't Christians. Anyway, uh, it sounds like we recorded it in a subway tunnel. Um, but Which is very similar to where we were. We was either not record them or, you, you know, you would miss a couple of uh, episodes because we were traveling. So we, we do apologize, but hope you have a happy holidays and uh, look forward to season three beginning in January. Yes. Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Hi, welcome to the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard Leduc. Hello, Garrett. I hope that everyone had a Merry Christmas and Happy Boxing Day and Happy Feast of Stevens, whether you're on the Western or Eastern side of things. Um, I think we covered all of our listeners by mentioning Feast of Stevens at all. Absolutely, and I hope that your New Year's plans are full of all kinds of wonderful and fun times. Um, we, we finished kind of discussing a little bit of kind of the nature of, of Jesus and kind of the, the two-part of it. We wanted to talk a little bit today kind of about the continued um, kind of theological issues that arise from the discussion of the nature of Jesus and then our nature. Uh, but before we did, we wanted to read an email that... Um, we received uh, the subject, I can't trust anyone anymore, um, which is really, that's the main That's point. what we're aiming for. That's right. Uh, this comes to us from Aaron. I have dozens of podcasts that I listen to, and yours is one of my favorites. It's both a blessing and a curse. You've taught me to think more critically about historical claims. I often find myself saying, that's not proof, or that would be nice, but it's not conclusive. I love, <laughs> I love history. By the way, so Garrett is my my dearest friend, and uh, he has ruined every movie I've ever watched That's with not... any with any historical right. anything. As long it. as it's like a sci-fi thing, yeah, and that isn't making any. Yeah, reference. I didn't say you've ruined every movie. Yeah, just Sense and Sensibility though was ruined for. Well, me. <laughs> I mean, frankly, just the portrayal of of the classic was the was the issue. I mean. Uh, but yeah, no, so so I remember, um, you know, in college we'd watch a movie and you'd, we went to go see, it, w- it wasn't Gettysburg, it was... Uh, Gods and Generals? Gods was and that Generals. A, oh, was such it. a terrible movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. If anyone listening thinks that's an amazing movie... You're wrong. Yeah. I, was, I was enjoying it. 
until I was told that I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so Aaron, you're you're paid. So anyway, so that's not proof, or it'd be nice if that, but that's not conclusive. I love history, but now I have become uh, skeptical about everything I hear. Uh, and by the way, that that actually is kind of the point is that uh, that when you hear yeah. some claim that you're not immediately like, oh wow, because that that's where there's a lot of danger in those things. Um, I can't watch the History Channel uh, channel documentary without questioning every statement or wondering if the historian they have on has a real training in the subject that they are talking about. I'm finding myself doubting, doubtful on every documentary I see. Is this good? Uh, Should I be doubtful of things like that as how they can actually distill so much history down to an hour? Or are there tools or ways of thinking I need to learn to adopt to shortcut my trust and accept things <laughs> I'm told at face value? Thank you again for the amazing podcast. I will say, uh, before Garrett answers that, and the answer is no, before <laughs> Garrett answers that, um, uh, like I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that I was listening to this you know, you know, almost 20-hour lecture series on the history of uh, the Catholic Church, and and you know it's it's fairly long, but there's so much that can be uh, said. Just you know, speaking of uh, what, uh, who are we talking about? Well, it could be literally anybody. Um, you know, you know, you can talk about one person and do twenty hours. Right. You can do an people. entire lecture series on Pope Urban. Yeah. Right. Right. So. So. Anyway, so I was like, oh, this is interesting. He's like, well, did they talk about this and this and this? And I said, no. He's like, oh, geez, well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a, good, it's a good question. Garrett, your thoughts. Well, so um, I don't know that we want to rename the podcast I Can't Trust Anything Anymore. But you know what? That you know, it's not bad. If we're looking for something that's not crinkling leaves for yeah, our yeah, premium you know what, content. For the premium content, you can't trust anything anymore, except for this. Give us money. You know what? You can't even trust us. I mean, I, I've made this discussion. I mean, I've, I've, I've expressed this before. And so let me express it again. That there, there is a great trap to the study of history. Um, first of all, you're not going to get any money. So the first <laughs> trap is once you're in it, you're like, wait a minute. Am I? What do you mean they only pay $30,000 a year? I could get more working, you know, as a crossing guard. Um, but it, the, the trap in studying it is there are so many nuances to every single event that happens. And when you think about it, of course there are, right? I mean, you know, we just did those podcasts on the more Italian. We didn't break down the actual march. We did more of the call of it. And so part of the reason why it took us so long to do so many is we aren't very good at delivering content. That is number but, one. But second of all, and only slightly less well-known, is that <laughs> there's so many moving parts. So, so you can say something that is simple. And it's just not accurate. Or you can say something that's complicated, and then it's hard for people to understand. So, so look, it's kind of like, um, you know, you, you ask you ask an astrophysicist how black holes are formed. Okay, he can say it's a collapsed star that's so dense that light can't escape it. Now, that's a very simple, straightforward explanation. It also is not how he would describe it 
in a paper that he would be trying to publish to the academic community. Why? Well, because there's so many other things. And there, there are investigations on the side of investigations on the side of investigations. And so when you're dealing with history, whenever someone is distilling it down to a podcast like this, or to a biography, or to a, uh, you know, a documentary, those are very easily accessible mediums. It makes it easy for us to understand and have a general idea. I think the important thing is realizing the limits of it. Someone who created a film documentary, for instance, an hour documentary on General Patton, they went through thousands of hours of transcripts, film, uh, you know, interviews, and they they cut it down to an hour. Now, why do you think they cut the other thousand hours out? Was it because it was false? No. It was because I'm trying to create an easy to understand, easy to follow story. So when you do that, when you cut out material in order to make it flow more smoothly, that's what I mean by the great trap. The trap of studying, writing about, talking about history is the more simple you make the explanation so that people can understand it, the less accurate that explanation is. And that's essential. I mean, if you had a, I don't know if you have like, if, that, if there was a Pythagorean theorem of, of history writing, it would be that, that in order to make it so that someone can understand, you have to leave out all kinds of stuff, right? So in Richard's lecture series he was listening to, the guy didn't stop every 10 seconds and say, you know, and so with the development of the Nestorian controversy. Now, uh, the first article you need to know on Nestorianism is you're gonna, and it's just going to start going off and down the tangent, telling you what each author of every single thing has argued. Now, that would be incredibly accurate but also incomprehensible and no one would listen to it. But it would be accurate. Instead, what does he say? You know, there are, authors have different opinions on this, but, right? What he, when he says authors have different opinions on it, what he means is there is legitimately thousands and thousands of pages written about this with different competing arguments. And I don't have time to go into all of them. Documentaries... Uh, especially tend to be, b because so much of it is visual, right? Especially if you're doing a video documentary, they tend to be less accurate because they have a very constrained time frame they're trying to fit in. Biographies, less so because you can make a biography as long as you want. The only problem is, you know, you get above 300 pages and nobody's reading it, right? Well, maybe they will, but probably not. But I think having a healthy skepticism, I think one of the things that, that you learn as you, as you gain a field of study, Richard's doing this in his PhD field right now, the more you learn about a specific thing, the less confident you are that you know everything about that thing or things related to it. So, so in, in my particular field of study in business and within that specifically in marketing and within that specifically, you know, this idea of uh, implied referral, whatever, 
you when you when you're looking at an impact of a particular variable, um, you say, I mean, statistically, you've got kind of this variable that I'm looking at, um, and how much is that impacting what's happening here? And then you have a lot of randomness, a lot of error, a lot of noise, and so we want to assign in history and with everything we want we want it to be really digestible and say okay this has this much in or this is the reason why this thing is happening when in reality specifically from from business i mean i talk a lot about things that i have no knowledge about but in this one i have a little bit but it's this idea that why did this thing have this impact well really you're looking at okay um, this has a statistically significant impact on about 13% of the total pie. And that is something that has value from a business perspective. And because you, again, it's not simple and it's not easy. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why things are happening and why things happen. And ultimately that, that is the thing. One of the things is when you get to uh, you know, some blog where somebody is antagonistic toward the church, you should be skeptical of that. You should be you should be thoughtful and thinking, boy, this really seems a real simple way to say why everything is terrible. Huh. I think there's a little more nuance to this. Yeah, yeah I mean, honestly, with anything... I, I, you don't have to be a cynic who's just walking around saying everyone's a liar. But <laughs> but you you should at the very least realize that even people who think they know what they're talking about often don't. I mean, we, it, it sounds kind of highbrow to say like, well, someone should have you know PhD credentials to be talking about something, and yet at the same time, what does that at least mean? It at least means. I get a base level of understanding and training and reading about sources. Now, I might still be wrong, but I've at least gone through years of study about how to properly use sources. Your average TikTok has not had that training, right? So it's not a guarantee that you're going to get things that are accurate. We all make mistakes all the time. I say things accidentally all the time because I'm thinking of one thing and I say the other. I mean, that happens all the time. But whenever someone is trying to distill a very complex issue, and religion is very complex, whenever they are trying to distill a very complex issue down to a meme on Instagram, it's not accurate, period. It is. It might have some parts of it that are accurate, but it is not holistically accurate because in order to make the meme, they had to leave a lot of things out. So to, to kind of give an example uh, of this, this is something that you, you see all the time, right? So um, if you are a fan of sports, like I'm a big fan of sports, sometimes things in sports will make their way into uh, mainstream news Media like your degenerate gambler, <laughs> and so they'll be talking about a particular news story, and they'll have news people talking about sports. So something that I'm very familiar with, BYU football, as an example, and somebody you know, this might not be something on the national level, but something at the national level, some football story, whatever, and you hear somebody at the national level talking about 
football or talking about your team or talking about this thing that you love. I think Michael Crichton called it the Gelman amnesia. This idea that what a name drop, I boy! Know. Wow. Well, Michael Crichton's just an awful. No, no, I no, I just feel like you're trying to big time everybody on the podcast now. Gelman amnesia. You, well, you got close to the PhD, and you're like, I'm not even waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even defended. No, that doesn't my, matter. I haven't defended it, my proposal. I defended the proposal. We all in know that every person we've Probably ever February. met in our life who is the most arrogant person we've ever met is ABD. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's this it's this idea that so you see it because some, you know way more than this person knows about this topic, and then they're talking about it, and you're like, oh, they didn't say that right. They don't know what they're talking about. This is really kind of odd that they would come across as whatever. The, the idea of this Gilman amnesia is just this term that Michael Crichton uses to say, so you hear them talk about a thing you know more about, and you realize how off they are about it. But then they go to the next topic, and all of a sudden now you're accepting the things that they were saying right. about the thing, knowing full well that they just talked about something that you know they don't know anything about. Well, and I, I, we've covered several, like, for instance, one of the books we covered, that was one of the points I was trying to make. Look, we we don't have time to go chapter and verse for every single claim that's made in this book. But we looked at three of them, <laughs> and they are plagiarized, made up, false, and wrong. So I don't know what the fourth one is. But I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, probably not terribly accurate either. And and so, when you're saying what are some what are some tools? Because you did ask for us not to just dump all over. <laughs> and you know, then for the last ten minutes, we've just dumped all. Yeah, over. I feel like. Well, you mentioned some implied referral thing, and he stopped listening anyway. We're sorry we lost you as a listener. We're sorry that you can no longer listen. Um, but in general, just in general. When you watch uh, a documentary, when you listen to a podcast, including this podcast, look, I am not, I'm asking you to not believe me. (laughs) This seems like a bad selling point. Is it the wrong time to bring podcast? We're lying to you. (laughs) The standard of truth podcast. Don't trust a thing we say. Brought to you by Brownsman's Toothpaste or whatever we were invented. Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's, right. Um, So, always have a healthy level of skepticism. Especially be skeptical when it is someone who is deliberately attempting to make a superlative claim about the thing that you are discussing. So, when someone is trying to, for shock value's sake, say, you know, General Patton never once even read the Bible that he carried around. Well, you can even... Now, I'm, I'm not saying that's a real claim. Okay, Richard looked at me like, how dare you? Dare you. How dare you? Say that about George C. Scott. <laughs> no, no, General Patton, not the person yeah, that played no, him. No, that's what I meant. Okay, George C. Scott, who's also a very good Scrooge. Oh, it's my favorite. Coming off of I mean, this is yeah, coming up after Christmas, uh, yeah. the George C. Yeah. Scott Christmas Carol, late it, 80s, oh, is absolutely it's, it's terrifying, but it's wonderful. Anyway, uh, the, the, the reality is... If someone is making a superlative claim, a big claim like that, almost always there is some kind of nuance surrounding it. Um, and and sometimes that nuance doesn't really matter, but sometimes it really does. In either case, when they're making the superlative claim, 
they're not telling you about the nuance, right? This happens all the time benignly, right? I will say, and I have said on this podcast, as I demonstrate this through our own lives, <laughs> I will say things like, the Latter-day Saints left Nauvoo in early 1846. Now, I don't stop off and say, actually, the first companies began traveling across the river. I don't do that. <laughs> Although it seems like it Richard sounds, would prefer that. Yeah, I mean, that's what you sound like in my ear, actually. <laughs> All Richard ever hears when I talk is... Anyway, the reality is there are some Latter-day Saints who stayed behind. So, that wasn't the point of the topic when I was talking. But if I were to take me saying, you know, the Latter-day Saints began leaving you know, Nauvoo in February... And you were to take that and say, no, I know that there wasn't one Latter-day Saint left in Nauvoo after February of 1840, right? It wouldn't be accurate. The problem with the digital age we live in is people want to get bits and pieces of information and make all of it superlative. All of it. All of it is the most, all of it is the worst. Why? Because that's what gets clicks and that's what gets people to think that you're an expert on it. When we've dealt with some of these antagonistic memes and themes, oh, that's nice. Maybe, maybe that's the name of the. We podcast. need a grab bag. Memes and thing. <laughs> themes. No, no Me- memes you know and things. You know, you know what? I don't even want memes anymore. You've ruined it for everybody. Uh, that when 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 someone presents you with these antagonistic things, they are trying to do it pithy. It's short. It all fits in the right size font on the page. It makes a gigantic claim. And at the same time, uh, is horribly not only inaccurate in its actual statement, but inaccurate because it knows what you're going to take as implication from it. If you recall, we talked about you know the meme where someone puts up you know just remember the so-called revelation to Joseph Smith about polygamy, DNC 132, wasn't included in the Doctrine and Covenants till 18. 76. Just remember that. Right? So, the person who creates that meme, and I assume that's how they talked about it. That's when they it, yeah, it. They're they're very breathy. Very breathy. Very breathy and always like, I've always I've always wanted to be the movie person. Yeah, you've got yeah. a good voice. Yeah, I wanted to do the, I wanted, in a world. Right? That I wanted yeah. to be that guy. And this is my one shot. <laughs> we created this entire podcast hoping that a Hollywood producer would be listening they're not. Oh, shoot. Anyway, um, the, the the implication, so someone reads that, they don't know how the Doctrine and Covenants is put together. The implication is, oh, Joseph Smith never even actually had a revelation on polygamy. That was invented later. Why do you think it took until 1876 to get into the Doctrine and Covenants, right? That's The, the person who's creating that meme is either A, horrifically idiotic, doesn't even know the process whereby revelations got into the Doctrine and Covenants. So you got to give that, sometimes people are just stupid. They, they don't know anything that they're talking about, and yet they still talk. So very surprising. But you might meet someone in your life who is more than willing to have an opinion on something that they literally know nothing about. But you may not know anyone like that. I've, I've met a couple. One of them sitting next to me. Just kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> Just kidding. Oh, luckily your mom doesn't listen. She does. But no. my mom does, and she's going to chastise me for that. How dare you say that to Richard? Anyway, um, they, they, they might not know, but if they don't know, they probably shouldn't be creating the meme. But if they do know, then that means they are deliberately manipulating you. They know that the next edition of the Doctrine and Covenants that came out after the 1844 edition is the 1876 edition. So when someone says, they didn't even put it in the Doctrine and Covenants until 1876, what they mean is, they didn't even put it in the Doctrine and Covenants until the next time they published it, right? But that doesn't really carry the same weight, does it? Nor do they tell you, and by the way, there are literally dozens and dozens of revelations that we quote from and revere in the Doctrine and Covenants today that weren't added to the Doctrine and Covenants until 1876. Are you claiming that DNC 121 isn't really from God because it wasn't added till 1876? Are you claiming that DNC, you know, 122 and 23? What about DNC 120? What, what, what? All of these various revelations or DNC 137. Did Joseph Smith not really see a vision of the celestial kingdom with Alvin in it because it wasn't put into the Doctrine and Covenants until until 1981? No, of course the meme or the statement isn't actually attempting to educate you. Attempting to educate someone in a five-word little post that's not how education happens. And in fact, if someone thinks that's how education happens, that's already a problem, right? And so always be a little bit skeptical. And you know what? It is a healthy thing to say, well, well, how does he know that? Because then that means if you really care to find out, you can go look up the sources and see, oh, oh, he says the, that the Holy Roman Empire did this because of so-and-so's argument about this, right? That doesn't mean you have to think that everyone's lying to you. But I'll tell you what, I have had the experience where there was an outstanding book that was written about the uh, about damnation and hell in America. And the author, a great author, uh, she was just, just a brilliant scholar, outstanding writing. It was great, great book. But she did a chapter on what Mormon theology of hell was. And it was straight terrible. It was as if she had never had a conversation with an actual active Latter-day Saint in her life when she went to write what it is that Latter-day Saints believe. She misinterpreted multiple early Latter-day Saint documents, including DNC 76, and then misinterpreted other people's misinterpretations of them. It didn't mean that she wasn't an amazing, educated scholar. She still is. She's, I'm sure, more brilliant. That's well, not hard to be more brilliant than me. More brilliant than Richard once he gets his PhD. Um, <laughs> my, my mom's really going to... Yeah, she's really going to wait. She's going to be angry. It was Christmas just a couple of days ago. Renee, I need you to be kind. Anyway, um, but the it did make me then question the other aspects of her book. So that's another thing that, 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 now I'm not saying that those other aspects weren't right, but what I'm saying is I was buying hook, line, and sinker everything that she had to say because she had such a great argument for, you know, uh, these various other Calvinist Christian traditions. 
But she was so wrong when she got to what Latter-day Saints believed at the time that I didn't hold that against her and saying, like, well, she's obviously a terrible person. But I did say to myself, boy, if she can be that wrong about what it is that we believed at the time, I maybe need to be a little more hesitant about the other claims she's making as well. So that's another thing that you can do. I mean, if you're wondering whether or not this, you know, this uh, documentary or biography is terribly accurate, and you find that there's some things that are woefully inaccurate, that should be a red flag to you. It should be a red flag that says, you know what? I'm going to take everything with a grain of salt from here on out. What was the example that you give on the great Nephite warrior or Lamanite warrior? Oh, yeah. Uh, when I first got to graduate school, uh, one of my professors who informed me the very first day that he hated Mormons and knew <laughs> that I was a Mormon because I was from Idaho and just wanted to let me know that in front of the class. I hate Mormons. Just so you know, I hate them. And I said, I'm sorry. I literally did. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. And what, what are you supposed to say? I mean, I, I'm sorry you hate me without having met me. Look, if you just get to know me, you would hate There's me. Lots and of you'd reasons. have a reason to hate you. I don't ask for much. I just ask that you get to know me before hate hating me. Hate you based on the content of your character. I want you to hate me for who I am. That's right. And not what I believe. Um, it, it, they assigned multiple antagonistic books to the entire class to read about Latter-day Saint religion. And one of them was a book on the Mountain Meadows Massacre written by Sally Denton. Now, there are lots of reasons why Sally Denton should not be taken as a an authority over what happened in 19th century territorial Utah. First of all, she doesn't have a degree in history, right? She's She was a, a journalist. Now, that doesn't mean everything she says is going to be wrong, but it does mean she personally actually doesn't have the ability or the training to vet the validity of sources, right? She, she doesn't. Now, that doesn't mean she can be wonderfully intelligent. This is not a question of intelligence here, right? Sometimes people think that you're saying, oh, you're just saying you're smarter than... No. I have a training in history. Richard has a training in business. Whenever we're talking about things that aren't those things, however wonderfully informed we might think we are, we are amateurs at it. Even if we do know a lot of stuff about it, we're amateurs. Like, we might know a lot about the buffet line. We might, we might know tons about it. We might know far too much about it. But that doesn't make <laughs> us the cook who made the food, right? And, and so... The way she opens her book, I don't know how exactly. I could go look it up, but then I'd have to go find her book. And 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 um, but in the opening pages, she says something to the effect of, "It all happened in a, a outside of a small Utah town named Parowan, named for a mythical and bloodthirsty Nephite warrior." Right? It's very much setting the stage. And you know what? beautiful writing, right? It was something that drew you in immediately, like, oh my goodness. The problem is, of course, Parowan is, is a Ute Indian name that means crooked stream, which she could have gone to, like, I don't know, the town of Parowan's website, which, first of all, Parowan has a website, just so everyone's aware. Do we have any listeners in Parowan? Uh, no. 
are you just saying that demographically there's no possible way? You could way? almost say any city, and I will say no. Okay. Do we have any listeners in Salt Lake City? No. Okay. Do we have any listeners in Provo? Maybe. Okay. But only because we've played this back several times. In Provo. In Provo. Okay. It sounded great, but she had made the conflation of thinking that I'm guessing Pehoran in the Book of Mormon is who she was thinking of. He's the bloodthirsty guy? I, I don't know. But either way, that he was a mythical Nephite warrior, right? Or whatever. And he's, he's anything but. I love the story of Pehoran, by the way. Well, it's that's a, a story for another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> just, hey, just don't be mad. We're fine. But at any rate, uh, she was. She started off this book, and, 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 you know, I presented that to this other professor just in my book review of it. You know, literally on the first page, it shows you how deep her examination went. She could have literally talked to any Mormon, any active Mormon. You could have said to them, is Parawan the name of a Nephite warrior? And they would say no, and they would hand you a Book of Mormon, and you could look it up in the index, and you'd see that Parawan wasn't the name of a Nephite warrior. Now, that might seem like you're being just a little nitpicky about it. But the problem is, I didn't tell Sally Denton to write a book. She chose to write a book and set herself up as an authority on the Mountain Meadows Massacre. No, no one forced her to do that. This wasn't this wasn't some kind of uh, of East German Stasi thing where they said you will write a book whether you like it or not and this is the topic. She chose to do it. So once you choose to do it and you set yourself up as the authority on that topic, you don't get to not just be wrong but ridiculously wrong about a way you're trying to negatively stage what happened, which is exactly. Uh, the, the case. And yeah. by the way, every time I drive through Parowan on my way down south, I stop and I take a picture and I send it to Garrett. And I've done that for yeah. decades. And then, and, the, and then sends it to me saying, mythical Nephite <laughs> warrior. Um, so, so look, I mean, this has been a long answer to say, you know, I, I think skepticism is healthy. I, I Look, I believe you have faith. <laughs> faith in Jesus is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. Faith in following the prophet is something that comes from the Holy Spirit. I don't have skepticism when President Nelson tells me to do something. Well, he doesn't ever tell me to do anything, but whenever he tells the church to do something and I'm part of it, right? But if someone is going to make a claim about the past, that doesn't mean it's not true. It very well might be. But I do need to be responsible before I just simply take something as being true just because someone said it. I often use the example uh, when I'm talking about antagonistic statements about the church. You know, you can pull up uh, some, you know, people who say things like, oh, yes, Martin Harris told me that he never saw the plates. That is a source. It's a source that actually exists. Does that mean that that is the explanation of whether or not Martin Harris said that he ever saw the plates or not? Of course not, because there are dozens of other sources. And oftentimes, when people are making superlative claims, they conveniently, or through ignorance, leave out the other sources that t would, would draw away from their claim. They just do. Because the, the claim they're trying to make 
is essentially a political slash religious one. They're not trying to make a claim about history. They're just selling it that way. So that's why when someone talks to you about Helen Mar Kimball and, and polygamy, they don't ever point you to the book she wrote defending polygamy. Why would they do that? She wrote the book. It's well known. Everyone knows we have it. Why don't they tell you that she did? Because that's not the point of the meme. The point of the meme is to cause you to doubt your faith, not to give you actual information. And so, yeah, healthy skepticism, I think, is very important. Always be hesitant to completely embrace something, just be, especially just because you heard it on a podcast, like this podcast, or because you saw it in a documentary, or even if you only read it in one. I mean, for me, look, if I read something that I'm like, oh my goodness, is that the reason why ZCMI did this? You know, back in the 19th century. No, not in the 20th. <laughs> no, 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 19th century. Um, well, then what I, there, I'll do a couple things. I'll go see if other authors have made the same argument. And then I will go examine the footnotes to see why it is the author is making that argument. Okay, you're saying that it happened because of this. And I go look at the footnote. Okay, I see why you say this because the letter says this, but the letter doesn't actually say the second part of what you say. Where's that coming from? And sometimes you'll find it's not coming from anywhere, right? The, nobody is perfect in this, this wild scheme of trying to talk about what happened in the past. But a healthy skepticism is, is always required when you're talking about events in the past. You need to know that to know exactly what happened in the past requires all kinds of intensive efforts to get to original sources. Now that is separate from faith. You don't have to know those things to believe because belief comes from the Holy Spirit. That's very different. That's right. Um, one thing is we want to make a quick public uh, service announcement as we transition to the actual topic uh, of the, the 36 minutes in. I, I think that's about right. Yeah, that's what we'd like to do is to start spending most of our time talking about either sports betting or responding to emails. And then in the last five minutes, get a pithy meme. Yeah. No, just a meme. I, that's my plan because no one can check it. Well, so, I mean, you mentioned the Parawan website. I don't know when you... So the, the, the podcasts drop at midnight, so I don't know when you get them. I, I, I assume everyone that listens is waiting up until midnight. I know that Tammy is. <laughs> so that they can download it immediately and listen to it. And if that's the case... I assume Rachel's mom is. Uh, pickleball, Parawan Pickleball Thursday is at 9 a.m. on the 29th of December uh, today. And uh, you it starts at 9, so make sure that you're registered and you get down to the fairgrounds and uh, play some play some pickleball. Wow. So, very good. There you go. That's, that's it from... The that theory. transitions to our topic... It's a perfect transition. So what is the impact of the nature of man and the nature of Jesus as it relates to then theologies that come? That was the topic that we discussed that pickleball transitions over to. Right, right. Because for many people, pickleball is a religion. Yes. And so let's talk about the nature <laughs> of God. Um, so I think there, there are multiple implications. We've talked about this in the previous podcast, you know, about the Mormons not being Christians. It really is fundamental to to who we are. I mean, when Joseph is teaching that we are a different type of being than Christians think we are. I, I said this before, I, I, not that I care any weight, but just you'll, you'll hear me say it multiple times. The doctrine of the pre-mortal life 
is probably the most essential belief that we have. Obviously, Jesus being our Savior is the most important. I'm going to get like a bunch of emails like, no, I get it. We're all Christians here, okay? So I believe Jesus saves me. The question is, why is it other Christians don't think we're Christians, okay? And they clearly know that I think Jesus saves me and still don't think I'm a Christian. So that's why the conversation is going beyond that. Um, it's because in the in the understanding of the pre-mortal life, it changes all of the natures that we're talking about. It changes God's relationship to us. He is no longer our creator, but he is our father. Jesus' relationship to us. He is no longer our creator, right? We are no, we are no longer just the wood that Jesus used to build a table. We are, though far below him in glory, the same type of being that he is. Why does that matter? It matters because our understanding of a pre-mortal life helps us deal with the realities of this mortality. Because the great fundamental question that no Christian can really answer very well is why is any of this happening at all? Why is this world so terrible? Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much suffering? We can come up with all kinds of pithy little memes to explain why, but, but they all ring pretty hollow. Because if God is perfect and God is all-powerful, then God could have done whatever God wanted to do. So why did God do this? Why did God do that everybody suffer? What Joseph is going to teach in the King Follett sermon and other places is that our souls are eternal. That, that there is no creation about it, is what Joseph says. The reason why, though horrific to your friend, the idea that you could become like God, it's horrific to them because the very nature of God is that no one can be like him. The very nature of God is he's the only being that has always existed. The, the only thing that God can't do is make you always have existed because that's what God is. God can give you all the power in the world, but he can't make you always have existed. And Joseph Smith refutes that very fundamental idea. And in the King Follett Sermon, which we'll cover at some point. I hope that we do. Probably we, not. We, uh, we, we get a lot of pressure from a friend of ours. Well... Probably not. But, anyway, but in the King Follett Sermon, Joseph Smith explains that it's the first principle of God to know how it is that God becomes God. That very idea that there was a process whereby God came to be God. That's not just high Mormon theology that people spout off like Mike Huckabee when they're trying to hurt you know, Mitt Romney's chances at, at an election. It sounds like I'm talking about deep doctrine, but Joseph is saying these are the first principles of the gospel. Why? It matters that you know that God became God 
because that is who you all are. All of you are the same type of being that God is. God, as a being, has always existed. You, as a being, have always existed. Now, obviously, God is leaps and bounds ahead of all of us. But that you are the same type of being. Which means because you're the same type of being, dare I borrow from the creed, you are of the same essence, right? That means you have the potential to become like your Heavenly Father. Now, of course, on the other side, of it, and your Heavenly Mother, which is even more blasphemy, that's another blasphemy down another road, right? Um, the, when our Christian friends say that we aren't Christians, it's usually not done out of terrible malice. Sometimes it is. But what they're trying to say is the Jesus that you worship is different than the Jesus that I worship. And as one of those, uh, you know, uh, tweets read, you know, maybe. Uh, we certainly call ourselves Christians. We take upon ourselves the name of Christ. But, but the Christian world has taken, they, they've drawn a line in the sand where they have said, we can differ over these doctrines, you know, whether or not the, 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 the Lord's Supper actually becomes the flesh and blood of Jesus. We can differ over that, but still call each other Christians, right? We can differ over whether or not you have to have any saving work to be saved or whether it's all grace and still be Christians. But they've drawn the line in the sand at those early Christian councils. If you don't accept the Trinitarian nature of the Godhead, if you claim that, that God and Jesus are separate beings, and further if you claim that all of us are the same types of beings that, that God and Jesus are, well, that to them is heresy. So when, when they say you believe in a different Jesus, you, you believe in one that you have the ability of actually being equal with? It's one thing for Jesus to give, you know, all kinds of crowns to throw at his feet to you in heaven, but you're claiming that you can actually become like him. And not just like him because you don't have any sin, but actually become like him. That is what Joseph is teaching in the King Paul Sermon. On a, uh, it, it seems like it's deep doctrine, like I said, but really it's fundamental. It's who you are. You are not someone who was created 25 years ago, 35 years ago, 75 years ago. I don't know how, I don't know the demographics of our listeners, all of them. I'm 900 years ago. I don't know. I don't know. It may be John the Apostle's listening, but I doubt it. Um, it you are someone who's always existed and then made a choice to come to this earth. That is entirely different than what the Christian world believes. The Christian world believes that God created you out of nothing however many years ago you were conceived. We are saying that we existed with God before that because we are children of God, the same type of creature or not creature, being that God is, and that therefore we have the potential of becoming like him. On the other 
side of that. We've talked about this when we talk about DNC 76, and that is we believe that God is going to provide a way for every single person to be saved. And not just saved from hellfire, but that God is going to create an equal opportunity, however that works in the next life, for every single person who's ever lived to be exalted. Every single person. It's not a happenstance of where you were born or who your parents are, that every single person has an actual opportunity to become like God. And this, that's why there's such an importance to understanding who it is that we are. If we're just simply a creation, it's not nearly as big of a deal that somebody is born without the knowledge and somebody is born with sure. it. But if we're all literally children of God, it becomes something that is far more difficult to swallow the unfairness of it all if they aren't given that. Yeah, and and for us, right, it's God's work and his glory that he brings to pass the immortality and eternal life of mankind, right? God's glory is in the exalting of his children. And we are not saying that we're his children because he created us the way he created a rock or a hammer. We are saying that we are the same types of being that God is. That we made a choice to come to this earth so that we could become like he is. I don't have a road map for how that works, how we go from being the horrible, sinful person I am to becoming anything like God. But there is a very distinct difference. The reason why we don't believe in an eternal hellfire where even the horrible sinners are going to rot for eternity upon eternity, but that eventually everyone will be they'll be punished long enough that they'll be resurrected and they'll go to a kingdom of glory in the celestial kingdom at the very least is because we believe that we are eternal beings who made a choice to come to this earth. So because we kept our first estate, because we chose Jesus in the first place, the eventual end of everyone, very few exceptions, is to be in some level of heaven. But it's still not just the happenstance there. God made provision for everyone to have an opportunity to actually become like him. Even if you didn't hear about it in this life. Even if your parents were atheists. Even if you were born into terrible socioeconomic conditions. Somehow, through work for the dead and through our eternal progression in the next life, God has made it possible that no one is going to simply be shut out of his presence because you were born at the wrong time, born in the wrong place, born with the wrong father, born with the wrong education. The equality of both salvation and exaltation that Joseph Smith reveals is the only thing you could expect from a father who isn't dealing with creations, but dealing with children. And I think that is one of the takeaways that we have from this. It's one of the reasons why, yeah, your friend might say you aren't a real Christian. And maybe what you say back is, I understand we, we, we believe different things about the nature of Christ. 
but I'm still certain the only way I'm saved is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's maybe a way of talking about it in a non-confrontational way. Now they will assert, no, no, what you believe is so far afield, you are no longer a Christian. And frankly, as a Latter-day Saint, uh, the invention of Twitter is not the first time that someone said we weren't real Christians. In fact, it's happened since Joseph Smith first said he had a vision. It happened since Joseph first said an angel appeared to him. It happened since Joseph first said he brought plates home. People saying, that is not what I consider Christianity. But we're in good company because that's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. The great learned religionists of the day, the people who had read the Torah over and over and over, those who were desperately waiting for the coming of the Messiah, are also the same people who weren't just wrong about Jesus. They were so wrong that they said Jesus was either Satan or was, was, was occupied by an evil spirit. So it's tough in a media-driven world, in a world where people are making snap judgments and attacking people right and left, it's tough to be on the side where you're just not ever going to be truly popular. You just aren't. But you have really good company because neither was the Savior. And it didn't matter that what he taught was true. He was called a blasphemer. It didn't matter that what he taught was correct and kind. He was called a heretic. He was called a blasphemer. And eventually, he's, he's going to be killed for it. So thank you so much for joining us on this topic. And for joining us for Season 2 of the Standard of Truth podcast. And you'll be able to join us next year. It's possible we get canceled in the next two days. Likely. Uh, or three days. But if we're not, yeah. this is the 29th, so. Yeah. Uh, but if not, uh, we look forward to you joining us for Season 3 of the Standard of Truth podcast, where we talk about similar topics and uh, look to answer questions that you didn't know that you had. And maybe, maybe some rustling of leaves. Crinkling of leaves. Crinkling leaves. You can go to standardoftruth.com and all the details for... All of the fun, new, uh, premium stuff is going to be there at the website. We're, we're excited about that. Hope that you really like that. Yeah, we hopefully, uh, those of you who are able, are able to subscribe, and, and that would help support the podcast. And if not, we'll still have the the free content, which... You get what you pay for. You, you've always been getting what you've been paying for. Thus far, you've been getting what you've been paying for. You've been getting what you've been paying But some of you have season said... Season three, getting less of what you're paying for. Yeah, season three, continuing to get what you're paying for. But uh, for those of you who are interested, please go to our website, standardoftruth.com, um, and uh, consider subscribing to the premium content, which will cover some other topics as well as the things that we cover on the on the free podcast. We would really appreciate it, and we really just appreciate all of you and all the many kind thoughts and, and uh, statements, all the, the, the wonderful emails and, and, and kind responses we've received from people. We certainly don't deserve it, but we are grateful for it. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.